Today I'm speaking to you from the story of Esther, and I'm sure many of us have heard that story before, but if you haven't, you're lucky. I'm going to recap it for you so you can kind of have an idea of where we're going. Does that sound good? All right, so Esther was a Jew. She was cared for by her uncle Mordecai as both of her parents had died. And she was essentially brought into the palace at that time for something that looked a lot like The Bachelor. I know no one in this room has ever watched that show, so you probably have no idea what I'm talking about. But um, The Bachelor was the king, and he was seeking a new wife because his last one was a bit of a disappointment. So of all the women in his kingdom... He, and after having a year of spa treatments to get this woman and these women ready for the king, he chose Esther to be his queen, which sounds so glamorous. But the reality is that very unlike The Bachelor, there was no love in this story. It was a story of a woman who was called queen and only beckoned when her king decided she was necessary. And so... It looks nice, and it looks cushioned, it looks pretty, but that's not necessarily the story of Esther. She saw the king only at his command, lived in her home, and was more like a trophy wife than a queen or a ruler. Her uncle Mordecai spent much of his time kind of probably doing that hovering parenting thing that some of us maybe do, and just sat outside the gates of her home, kind of keeping an eye on Esther. And um, in this, he would run into Haman, who was the king's right-hand man. And, and Haman, um, he wouldn't bow to Haman. He wouldn't do what Haman wanted him to do, so Haman hated him. Because of this, Mordecai was despised, and, and Haman had set out to destroy Mordecai. But thought, you know what? That's not good enough. I'm not just going to destroy Mordecai. I'm going to destroy the entire race, the Jews. So Mordecai went to Esther and essentially was begging for help in this. As queen, surely she would have some kind of authority in this. But the problem was that if you went before the king and you weren't beckoned, then death could be your next step. So here's where Esther had to make a choice and where we're going to push pause on the story of Esther. Today I'm going to speak to you for a topic that's not exactly easy. It's not like this pretty Mother's Day message, so I apologize in advance. But I think it's one that we all need to hear, and I think it's one that God has set up for conveniently a time such as this. And it is, um, the topic today of my message is the danger in the slumber. Okay, have you ever had a bad dream while sleeping? Okay, so I am prone to bad dreams and have been to terrible nightmares since I was a child. Only my nightmares aren't like the kind that you dream and then wake up from. They're the kind you wake up to. So I literally, I wake up, like I've heard that this happens to people on Ambien. I don't know if that's true. I've never tried Ambien. <laughs> but this is like my day-to-day -day life. <laughs> I, I wake up, and ever since I was a child, like I used to have dreams about the jolly green giant being not so jolly. You remember the guy on the can of corn, like the jolly green giant? Well, he wasn't so nice in my dreams, but I would wake up and he was literally in my room, or I'd wake up and the Easter bunny would be hopping creepily by my bedroom window. Nobody wants to wake up to the Easter bunny creepily <laughs> walking by your window. So as I got married, of course, this, con this has continued throughout my entire life. And one night in particular, uh, my husband and I were sleeping, and we were kind of newlyweds. Like, we'd been married for probably two years. We lived in Phoenix. So, um, you know, he might have had this happen to him a few times, but it wasn't as pr prominent as this exact moment. And it's one that we both clearly remember. But 
I woke up and I saw three scuba divers at the end of my bed. And they're legitimate, guys. They're real. Like, they are there as clear as day, as clear as you sitting in those seats. Like, that is how real it is when I wake up. I see the whole room just as it is right now. And then I'd see the scuba divers. And so I wake up and I'm screaming about the scuba divers that are in my bedroom. And I'm freaking out. And of course, I think I might have smacked him or something. But I, I go, you know, I'm trying to get him to wake up. And so he wakes up freaking out. Somebody's in our bedroom and realizes that it's scuba divers and, and goes back to sleep <laughs> restlessly. So after probably hundreds of times, literally, of this happening, we have a terrible girl who cried wolf scenario on our hands if ever there is an actual person in my bedroom. <laughs> so just know that I probably screamed and told him there was someone there and he didn't believe me if that's how we end up going. <laughs> but the reality of all this is that we're truly the most vulnerable when we're sleeping. And I realized that after years of terrible dreams that this isn't just um, a case of bad nightmares. This is the enemy who works hard to distract me in these moments. He works hard to build fear. I, I tend to sleep on the couch with all the lights on when Jason's not home. Why? Because, well, if you had my dreams, you'd be afraid. <laughs> you wouldn't want to sleep in your bedroom because you wouldn't trust that yourself or those dreams aren't real, right? But in years of this, I now realize, like, this isn't just bad dreams. This is the enemy. The Bible reminds us in John 10.10 10, that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So he can do that in any way. It doesn't necessarily mean we're going to die. It might mean it's a distraction from, from us having faith in God and rather placing fear over that faith. As a pastor, a leader, a wife, a mother, but most of all, as a Christ follower, I've placed a target on my back and it's a big target. So I have to know that I have an enemy that's going to try to distract from my purpose. As we go back to Esther, we see that she had a moment to choose. She could choose to succumb to the sleepy life that was purposed and only planned by her king. Or she could choose to wake up to the call of God in, on her life. What I love about this is that God didn't put her there to sleep. He put her there to save as Esther wrestles with this reality before her of save my people or save myself, we can see this in, in Esther 4.13 through 14 where Mordecai challenges her during her wrestling. It says this, Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that you, the, in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you have, you and your father's house will perish. And this is what I want you to hear. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Esther had a choice in that moment. The reality is it's the same choice that every single one of us has today. Of course, your family's lives are not hanging in the balance most likely. If they were, you probably wouldn't be with us today here. But realistically, we have a choice to live a purpose-driven, gospel-oriented, fully awake life where we act when God calls us, or we can stay in our slumber, disregarding the realities of the lost and broken around us. And you know, I didn't, as I was really just worshiping this, this morning, just during this service, we've had several people 
who have um, chosen to end their life this week that we've heard about through different stories. And I thought, what an like, intense moment that God is calling us to wake up. That he's saying, you don't get to sleep anymore. You guys are the answer. We're the answer. There's people around you who are literally dying inside of themselves, who don't know how to ask for help. And so as I was stirred to that this morning during worship, uh, during our 11 o'clock worship, I was like, God, this isn't acceptable. This isn't just a comfy, cozy message. This is a challenge to each of us to get out of our suburban slumber and to wake up to what God has for us and to do in and through us. So you guys ready for that? Okay, the first point is this. In the fog of slumber, we can't recall the power of God. Okay, so I know for the women in this room, if you've ever lived with a boy or a man, this might sound very familiar. But if not, that's okay. I'll tell you what has happened to me. And you can just decide if you want to apply it to your life. Um, So have you ever kind of like woken up in the middle of the night and you're so tired, but you have to go to the bathroom? Isn't that so inconvenient? I do not like waking up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. Um, You know, but I've woke up in the middle of the night, gone to the bathroom. I don't even turn the light on because who wants to do that? That's just, that's too much awakeness in the middle of the night. So I've gone to the bathroom and went to sit down to fall into the toilet. I mean, there's been times where I've almost fell off the toilet because I fell into the toilet and was trying to get, I mean, it's been bad. And this is because some boys and men don't know how to close the toilet seat. But the reality, oh, we have some, all right, we saw it here, guys. (laughs) The reality is that when we are in slumber or sleepiness, We don't have the power of sight. It's not clear, right? We're kind of in a fog. And that's the same thing with how we use the power of God. We don't know how to use the power of God when we're kind of going through life in that suburban sleepy slumber where it's just that mundane day-to-day. So as we go back to my dreams, the reality is that I had the power in that moment to conquer the enemy, really. Because whether you like it or not, we, we... fight against a very real enemy who seeks to discourage and seeks to distract. And in the moment, I had every opportunity to call out and say, in Jesus' name, you have no authority in my home or in this place. But in the moment of slumber, I don't know to do that. It's not an automatic, innate thing within me. I haven't gone, oh, yeah, wait, wait, what am I supposed to do? I just actually get really mad and go, whatever, and go back to sleep. Instead of going, no. I have the power of God over this situation. I don't have to live in this life, in this terrible place of, like, not sensing his power in my moment. The problem is that when a storm comes, we forget the goodness of God. We forget the character of God. We go into immediate meltdown and demise instead of arising to faith. Living fully awake allows us to call on the power of God when we need it. He becomes our first request instead of our last-ditch effort. Esther chose not to sleep to the reality of the, the, the Jews were facing. Once she did so, she called the Jews to take up arms and administer the power of God through fasting and prayer. It says this in Esther 4, 15 through 17. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, 
and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is, not, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything Esther had ordered him. Esther knew that God had to be put first in this situation. She couldn't go into the king unprepared. But her preparedness wasn't the kind of preparedness she had had to do to become queen. It wasn't go and get 100 spa treatments. It was God and God only. That was where she had to get prepared. She had to put him first in the situation. In our sleepy lives, we can avoid God and run to everything else. We all know this. But the importance is to be awake so that we can utilize his power in our situations. Zechariah 4.6 reminds us of this. It says, not by might nor by power, but my, by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So it's not in our own might or power. It's not in his might and power. It's in his spirit that he can accomplish what we could never accomplish, that he can defeat whatever we're going through, that he can heal, that he can break through whatever struggle that you're in. He can break through, but we have to call on his power. Number two is this. In the fog of slumber, we can't sense the presence of God. I often hear people speak to the idea of them not being able to hear God's voice. We've all struggled with that. There's been many moments in my life where I'm like, are you there, God? I'm knocking and you're not listening. But the reality is that most likely I'm wanting a quick answer to a quick prayer, right? I'm like, here, throw this up and you come down with your answer. And you say yes every time or else, you know? But the problem is that we have to soak in his presence, to feel his presence, to hear his voice. So I want to tell you a story out of The Barbarian Way by Erwin McManus. And it's about his little boy and him and wrestling with this idea of God's voice. Erwin's son Aaron was five or six years old when he asked Erwin, what does the voice of God sound like? And Erwin said, I don't know. Does anyone else feel like that was a parent fail moment? <laughs> I don't know. Like, you're supposed to know. I'm asking. I've had many of those moments. I don't know how to answer this question. (laughs) Lord, give me an answer. Um, He didn't know how to answer that. A few years later, Aaron went off to camp, and Erwin had come up in the middle of the week to check on him, see how they were doing, and and his son had gotten into big trouble. He had actually tried to assault another kid, and his friends had held him back and kept him from doing so. But his son was unrepentant and angry and wanted to leave. So he had stuffed all his, stuffed all his stuff into the car, and they were headed out of, t- out of there. Um, before driving off, Erwin said, Aaron, is there any voice inside of you telling you what you should do? Aaron said, yes. Well, what's the voice telling you? That I should stay and work it out. Can you identify that voice, Erwin said? Yes, he said immediately, it's God. At that, Erwin said, do you realize what just happened? You heard God's voice. He spoke to you from within your soul. Forget everything else. God is speaking to you. Aaron responded with, well, I'm still not doing what God said. Anyone else? No, I won't ask you to raise your hand. You've never done that. (laughs) Erwin went on to encourage that Aaron had a choice in that moment. He warned, if you reject God's voice and leading, it would lead over time and replication to you not being able to hear him, to a hardened heart and dull ears. And then he explained that if he engaged God's voice, that he would be able to more regularly hear it. And that that was a treasure that God had spoken to him. Needless to say, Aaron chose to stay. 
Good boy. <laughs> he listened to God's voice that day. But that's the problem. The danger in the slumber is that we ignore God's voice and leading when, and we become calloused. So then when we really need it, we can't hear him because we've covered it up with our own decision making. The thing is we have to practice hearing the voice of God. Just like you have to practice being on any team, you have to practice having a relationship with God. Just like you have to build a relationship with someone else, you have to be in relationship to build relationship. And it's the same with God. Esther spent three days in the presence of God before going before the king, as we saw in Esther 4, 15 through 17. So I want to quickly encourage you with a few ways to stay awake to the presence of God. Are you ready? All right. The first one is this, worship, always. Okay, this is surprising to me because I think a lot of us don't, don't know, maybe we don't desire to worship or we don't know how to worship or it feels like maybe awkward or I'm not sure what it is, but this, this particular topic, whenever I'm encouraging someone in their walk with God, I'm like, well, how much are you worshiping? How much are you turning on worship around you? When you're fighting something, how much are you worshiping? And I'm surprised to hear that like, most people don't even know wh who to listen to. Which is not, I mean, it's true. Like, we just don't know. Where do I find worship? Where do I, that's why we have on our app the worship playlist. So you can start to see, oh, okay, now I know the, the names or I can find an album or I can, you know, listen to the worship before this weekend so that I can get ready and I can sing along or whatever it is. But we also do that so that you have moments and abilities to be in the presence of God. And in my struggle, I often have worship on all the time. So Jason and I will leave worship on in our home even when we're not in our home. Because the reality is that worship shifts the atmosphere. So if we're needing worship for a season, if we're needing to be reminded of the goodness of God and we turn on some worship music, we'll leave it on so that when we come into our home, the atmosphere is already set. And that the tension can melt away. The distractions can melt away. The frustrations can melt away. Does that mean that every time I turn on worship, like it's a magic pill or something and I just feel great? No. A lot of times... I'll turn it on when I don't want to. I used to set the atmosphere back in the day with a band that was not Jesus related. And no one else would know them because it's, it's, it was just it was bad. But, so I won't tell you because I don't want you to think I'm a sinner. But I am a sinner. It was Limp Bizkit. That, <laughs> when I was a teenager... <laughs> That was my angry music, like seriously, it's, it's bad. I mean, but when I was mad, I would not turn on worship. I would turn on Limp Bizkit. Do not look that up, teenagers, okay? <sighs> Sorry, parents. <laughs> but the reality is that it does, it shapes and forms your atmosphere. What you're listening to, what you're putting inside of your soul is shaping and forming your atmosphere. So if you choose not to engage in worship, you're missing Moments of having the presence of God with you every single day. Paul Anderson says this, when people face enormous problems, it's easy for them to get discouraged, which leads to passivity, which in turn can lead to more discouragement. People become chained in a tight circle of hopelessness. Worship breaks into that circle by requiring people to do something, something, something positive and hopeful to give glory to God. It also takes us out of our problem, right, and puts us into God's presence it sets our hearts on him instead of our life, which is the reality that he's greater than all of that. So worship. The second is this. Read or listen to your word. 
Okay, the struggle with the slumber is that when we're in a season of dryness and haven't been reading our word, we have no idea where to start. We've had that before where we're frozen. We're like, I need to, get, I need to read my Bible, but I can't just start at the beginning, you know? Genesis isn't going to encourage me right now. So I just want to encourage you, if you're just needing to get out of that, that funk and that season of dryness, number one, there's been seasons in my life where I've just been diligent in reading, and Exodus has spoken to me. Even Leviticus has spoken to me. However, I would not encourage you starting there. <laughs> it's not necessarily the most uplifting area of the Bible. Great stuff, but a little hard to swallow at certain moments. So I would encourage you to start in Psalms. Psalms is great because, one, you have David, who's very real and authentic with his struggle. And he complains about it, like we all do, to God. But he always brings it back around to praising him. So the beauty is that you can go and you can go, okay, cool, somebody who understands. I mean, you actually are probably in a better situation than David was since he had full-on armies chasing him. But, you know, still, <laughs> you, you can find someone who gets it and then still be reminded of the goodness of God. And that's the Psalms for me. is like it's just a great place to start and get inspired. And then you can start digging in when you've been encouraged and refreshed in that season. Um, the last thing is this, Pray. So Romans 12, 12 says this, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Staying in a pray place of prayer instead of just stating what we want from God is key to being in his presence. So like this last couple weeks, I had kind of come up with an acronym for myself because I'm trying to be diligent about not just praying my needs, but like acknowledging God. <laughs> and so I came up with this little acronym it's TARP. If you want to write it down, you can and use it. That's great. It's, so T starts with Thanksgiving, and it's really about thanking God for everything he's, he's done for us, for me, for our, our world, for our church, whatever it is, whatever you can thank God for. A is about affirming God, and that is reminding you of his character. It's going, God, you are so good. God, you are a healer. God, you are faithful, and it's reminding us of his character and then also, again, taking it off of our problems, right, and putting it back on him and his glory. The other is R, which is to reflect and repent. This is the part we like to ignore sometimes. But can I be honest with you? When you're struggling with sin and you've been in sin, it's also going to be hard to hear the voice of God. Because he has some things you need to awaken to in your life and what's inside of you and what you're struggling with that you need to see first so that you can be closer to him and in communion with him. And so that you can acknowledge, God, you're right, that thing is wrong in me. So for me, I say, okay, Lord, search my heart and anything wrong in me. And then I repent for those things. Some of us, we know that right off the top. As soon as I said it, you're like, oh, that thing, I know that thing. But you have to actually repent. And I think that's the step we want to cover up and miss as the church is sometimes we decide we cover everything with grace that it makes us think we don't have to repent for anything. We still have to ask for the grace to be applied to the sin in our life. So I just want to encourage you with that. Repent. Seek him. Ask him to show you the things in you. For me, sometimes it's not this hard, trivial thing, but it's something I wouldn't have noticed on my own. So being in communion with him allows me to see those things. The, the last thing is P, and it is petition. And that's where we get to pray all of our prayers. God, we lift all these things up to you. But I already just set myself up for having my faith be in my petition. 
Does that make sense? So when I'm bringing my petition to him, I've already said, you're a good God, so you can do this. I already said, God, you're a healer, so my petition for people being healed, I know that it can happen. Does that make sense? I've stirred my faith to that place. So those are the three things, and the thing is, is that we all know them, right? They're not surprising. You're probably like, well, uh, duh. But the reality of us actually applying them is where the problem comes into play. We know what to do, just like anything in our life, but we don't always do it. The third point is this. In the fog of slumber, we can't retain the purpose of God. The reality is that no matter what season or situation we are in, we are all called to a purposeful, Christ-minded, minister-to-the-lost kind of life. In our sleepy slumber, we miss the opportunities to do this. Esther was right there. She had a perfectly cush life. She was chosen to be queen. She was only beckoned on occasion. So she didn't have the commands and the demands of being a wife and a mother. She just had looked like a cush life. It looked perfect. She was safe. The pressure was minimal, and she had what she could need or want. But Esther's purpose was not to stay in that. Her purpose was to save her people. That's why she was put there. As Mordecai reminded her and challenged her, what if this isn't exactly why you're here today? And I want to encourage you with that. You are where you're at today. It's not an accident. There is purpose around you. It might feel like there's no purpose. You might feel lost. You might feel not chosen. You might feel lonely. You might feel alone in your situation. You might think, God can't use me right now because of whatever, whatever, whatever. But the reality is that your story does matter and that he can use you exactly where you're at if you choose to be used. So I think we commonly run into that place where our purpose is lost in our day-to-day mundane lives. But God's calling us to arise to purpose. He's calling us to stand up and be intentional. He's calling us to love the people around us who don't have anyone else to show them the way. So as we soak in the presence of God, recognize the power of God, God will begin to stir that purpose up within us. It's practically being sensitive to the Holy Spirit as you walk through your day, listening for nudges where he's asking you to be intentional. It can look like slowing down at the grocery store when you see someone who might need a little encouragement. For us, we have a story of a sandwich shop where a woman was standing in line and we were sitting there enjoying our sandwiches and she was devastated. She was crying and you could just tell she needed some love and encouragement. I'd like to tell you that that day that's exactly what we did, but we didn't. But I can also tell you that I'm encouraged by Mordecai's reminder that even Esther, if you don't choose to do this, God will send someone for me. God will send someone for his people. So I know that even though that day, we both, after she left, felt like we had just missed a moment. We cried a little. We slowed down a bit. And we said, God, we're sorry we missed that. But I also know that God is so faithful and he had someone else to meet her on her path. But isn't it so awesome to be able to be used by him? I'd rather have the story of the sandwich shop that day where this girl was just melted into our arms and we prayed for her and she just found hope in life. We didn't have that story, but I can have that story every day if I choose to be awake to what God's calling us to. God didn't send anyone else to get his gospel into our world. Jesus came. He saved. He's given us grace and life eternally 
but we're the ones that get to spread the good news. And it is a good too.